Good morning to you. All right, you're out there, you're alive, awake, and enthusiastic for today. So glad that you're here and that God has given you safety and mercies and good health to be here today. Uh, if you have your bulletin or if you want to follow along on the slides, we have a few things taking place. Um, we're going to hold off on the uh, prayer cards for just a few minutes. Efren just let me know that we're out, so we're going to go make some up and then we'll pass those out. Uh, but when we do uh, pass those out, you fill them in, uh, fill them out, and then pass them in at the end of the service. Here, our featured missionary today in the bulletin is uh, the Barbas. Uh, they're not far away from us at all. They're about two hours north in Antioch, California right now, helping Heritage Baptist Church uh, find a pastor. And so the church has gone down over the last year that they've been without a pastor, and so... Uh, talked with Dave on the phone this morning, had some prayer with him on the phone, and uh, his request for uh, the church up there was that they would uh, rise to the challenge in the giving. So what has uh, happened with the church going down in numbers, they don't really have a, a salary to offer a pastor, so they have purchased then a, uh, someone helped them purchase a motor home that the pastor could live in. And so just the whole situation there, just the church growing, the finances being able to afford it and so forth. So pray for Heritage as they look for a church. And then Claudia will be speaking up at the ladies' retreat. So uh, please be in prayer for Claudia. Uh, some of you read the weekly email. You know that my father, who's 90, uh, fell out at Walmart uh, in his hometown, had uh, uh, hip uh, surgery, partial hip replacement this week. So appreciate your prayers for his continued recovery. The surgery went well, um, so I'll have a uh, video conference with my siblings today, and I might plan a trip in a few weeks to go out and see my dad and, and figure out what's going on. So continue praying for him. All right, so let's see here. Um, there's communion, and with that is a deacon's fund offering. Now, if you're new here to Cal uh, Calvary and you don't know how to, to give, because we don't pass an offering plate. I mean, we're not Baptists in that regard, all right? Uh, that, there's an offering box as you come in the double glass doors that you can drop your love offering or your giving in that uh, little wooden box there on the door. So a deacon's fund offering goes to help people in our church, in our community that are in need. So, for example... Uh, last month, we had somebody call and say, I need help to get back and forth to work. I don't have any gas. Could you help? So we went down and uh, put a, a tank of gas in your car for them. And so that is there uh, for you to give as the Lord lays that on your heart. There is a lunch after church today for the senior saints. Uh, youth rally uh, at Wolf Mountain. Now, please see me today if you need a ride because I have places for six people that could ride with me. Uh, so if parents, if you can't drive your kids there and you would like me to drive them up there and back in one day, I need to know who you are. And uh, so please fill out that registration online and uh, we're going to let you handle that one. All right, then we're going to try to fill in this area here behind me, the baptistry, and make a screen so this will disappear. And then we're going to mount a projector up here. And so we need a lot of help with that project. So if you have construction or technical abilities, if you know how to manage projects or if you know how to uh, drive a nail without hitting your thumb, uh, then please see us. But there's also a sign-up list on the bulletin board in the lobby. Uh, please help us with that. All right, so Jeff, why don't you go ahead and 
come up at this time. And one more thing. Uh, we were given 20 of these little invitational New Testaments. And we have an invite card in them to our church. And the name on the cover of the little New Testament is called The Invitation. And so there's 20 of these. Can I challenge you? There's more than 20 of us here today. Take one or two and then give them out this week as an invite. Can we do that today? Can we empty out 20 of these, get rid of them? Come on, shake your head. Yes, yes, yes. All right, so we'll do that. All right, Efren, do you, did you find prayer cards? Okay, we're going high tech. <laughs> high tech here today. So we have scratch paper. You can scratch your prayer requests on. Raise your hand if you have that prayer request, and Efren will get that to you. Jeff? While Efren's handing those out, we're going to sing his favorite, Abba Father. Number seven in your hymnals. Let's stand as we sing, please. Father, hold me safe in your arms. Father, keep me free from all harm. I cast my care on you, just like a child should do. Trusting, loving all that you are. like 
you for that good singing. Now you can be seated. The family of God, number 188. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been week we'll repeat that back I expect you all to have it memorized did I skip a song I guess so I thought we were going to have a third song now but that will come at the end there should be one in there then Mr. Reed put it in the wrong order there it is past it. Now that's the end song, 301, right? 185. And everybody else would have to use the hymnal too. No, it is not here. Everybody grab your hymnals just like the old days. There it is. I am his and he is mine. Sorry about that. Found it. Must be a very short song. We are not infallible around here. Loved with everlasting love. 
seated. We're going to dismiss junior church now, preschool through age eight. Aren't you glad that the Lord has us secure in his hands? Uh, because we certainly are fallible. You know, sometimes people will tell me when I introduce myself as a pastor, you know, you can just cut that with a knife, right? Because you can see the tension in their face and in their body language. And uh, usually the conversation goes something like, well, I don't like organized religion. And my humorous response to that is, well, great, you would love our church because we're totally disorganized. <laughs> and so today, that's true. All right. Please take your Bibles, open up to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. All right, so let me just start out with a contemporary uh, news story that was uh, out, I think, on either Tuesday or Wednesday this week. How many of you read um, the um, CNN headline about rapture fright? Did anybody see that, that article? So you can go back and look it up this week. And um, so my opinion was it was a hit piece, all right, that uh, CNN put out against churches. And so here's the, the short of the, of the news article. It went like this. This girl has started a TikTok page uh, to help survivors of Christian churches that teach that God is going to return. And um, that causes so much fear and anxiety and paranoia that it has destroyed their lives. All right. Okay. Well, um, so the reality is that if you're not saved to hear that Christ might return, that is a scary thought. Um, I shared with you a few weeks ago how my mother was babysitting for this family and uh, we had left the house and gone over to another uh, boy's house and the father came in calling, you know, the names and he's like, ah! you know, when he finally found us, I th don't ever do that to me again because I thought that rapture thing that you were talking about, I thought that happened. Well, it's, he was terrified because he didn't know the Lord. Um, so if you understand uh, the intention of why Bible prophecy is in the New Testament, 
It's not to scare us as believers. Uh, it's our blessed hope uh, because this life is not it. There's, there's a resurrection. There's everlasting life. And so if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 that talk about the, the coming of the Lord, verse 18 says this, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So today as we go through Bible prophecy, I don't want you to be frightened, but rather comforted, and to know the intent of why God is giving us this prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. Now, uh, so here's the big idea from Daniel chapter 9. We're going to finish this, by the way, today. But as we do this, remember that there were six reasons that we look at the Bible prophecy and the blessings that God wanted to give uh, to the nation of Israel. So just give me a second, and I'm going to get to Daniel chapter 9, because I'm not there. All right, in Daniel chapter 9, uh, we're looking at verses 24 through 27 as our text, and we're going to talk about Daniel's prophecy and what this means for us. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, verse 24, and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an, an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So there's six blessings that God wants to give to Israel. Now we know this concerns the people of Israel because verse 24, are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. So that's Jerusalem. So this is relating to ethnic Jews, all right, and the blessings that God intends to bring to them as a nation. All right, so verse 25 Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end of it shall be with a flood. Unto the end of the war, desolations are determined. Verse 27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and uh, that determined shall be poured out upon the desolate or the desolator. So we started out. Uh, with understanding the vision. This is God's prophetic blueprint. He's showing us what's going to happen in human history in the future. This prophetic blueprint is still active, by the way. And we're going to go through that and explain it today. And what is remaining is these last um, verses in verse 27. That is what remains and will be active for today. And we'll explain that as we go through. But let's just remember here, uh, as we consider the vision, that um, we're to look at the intent. God is not trying to frighten us or terrify us, but rather to bring in an age of blessing upon the people of Israel 
And when he does that, then he blesses the world. And so the world will be blessed through these things. All right, so the application, all right, that's what's on the screen here is that God loves you. Uh, he answers prayer. We saw how Daniel was praying, and in the middle of his prayer, he sent Gabriel to give Daniel this prophecy, which was an answer to Daniel's prayer, um, to give understanding and then to bestow blessings. And so we left off with uh, the third blessing last week. So just really quickly, uh, verses uh, here, uh, going back to verse 24, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Uh, that's the fourth one. The fifth one is to seal up vision and prophecy. And then six, to anoint the most holy. Um, so as we go through, I'll try to explain some of this today, uh, what these blessings are. But now we need to do some work here and explain how long this prophecy would take, uh, when it would start, and how God's clock begins running, and how we know all of that. All right, so let's go back now to verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy city to finish the transgressions, and then all the blessings. In the verse 25, Daniel is supposed to know something, this is when God's prophetic clock would start running. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. All right, so this is when God's prophetic clock would start running. If you remember Daniel's prayer, he's pleading with God. Do something for my people. Do something for your holy city. Do this for your glory, for your name. And so God sends Gabriel and says, Daniel, you're a beloved person. I'm going to answer your prayer right now, and I'm going to show you when God is going to go to work. And so God has begun his work in answering Daniel's prayer and showing Daniel the future and what God is doing in the world today. Now, in verse 24, we have this very interesting Phrase, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. The Hebrew here is actually 77s. All right. Now, what if I said 12 dozens? What would that give you? What number? 144. But when we say 77s, 77s of what? All right, well, what is 70 times 7, by the way? 490. 490 what? All right, so 77s. And the King James chose the word weeks. So let's look at three possible ways that we could say, all right, here's some units of time, which one best fits the context. All right, so take your Bibles, go over to Exodus chapter 20. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments. And verse 11 reads this, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that are in them, and 
rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So from the beginning of creation, human weeks have been seven days. And the Lord rested on the seventh day. And so this is a week, all right? Just the basic concept. When you read Daniel 9.24, 70 weeks, you might be thinking, all right, 70 weeks. All right, so that's a little bit more than a year, all right? A year and a couple of months. And so what's going to happen in a year and a couple of months? So that's one way that we could look at this particular passage of Scripture. Now, let's go over to another book in the Old Testament, the next book, which is Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 25. We want to look at the first seven verses. Now, we're going to go a little slower so we can explain this because you need to know how this really does make sense. Chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. And the Lord spoke unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, um, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years... Thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine. Unpruned it is a year of rest unto the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be good for you, uh, and for thee, and for thy servants, and for thy maid, and for thy hired servant, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee, and for thy cattle, and for the beasts that are in thy land, all shall be an increase thereof be food. All right, so here is another week. It's called the sabbatical year. Now, how many of you ever heard of it when a pastor takes an extended amount of time off, it's called a sabbatical? Have you heard that term? All right. So after a few years, uh, rest and, and take time, and I'm not asking one, by the way, I'm just telling you about that. So a sabbatical of years. And so every seventh year was a sabbatical week. Now let's keep reading, because there's another thing in here. In verse 8, And thou shalt number seven Sabbath of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the Sabbath of years shall be unto thee 49 years. So here's a third Sabbath every 49 years. Now here's what would happen. It was called the year of Jubilee. A reset button was pushed. All debts were forgiven. All land reverted back to the original landholders. If you were in debt, it was wiped clean. If you were in jail because of your financial servitude, you were released, you were set free. If you had sold yourself as a servant to another family and because you lost your land through financial misfortune, so you became a hired employee for this other family, then everything was reset, the whole economy reset. And so it was freedom every 49th year. 
So now we have three possible weeks to look at here. A literal week of seven days, a unit of seven years called the sabbatical week, and then a jubilee week, which is a group of 49 years. All right. And so this is what is taking place here when we look at the Jewish mind. All right, so now as we go back to Daniel 9, 24. Understand what had Daniel been doing just previous to this vision. What was Daniel doing? He was praying. He was confessing the sins of the children of Israel. Do you know what sin that they had committed? They hadn't kept the jubilee. They had not kept the Sabbath rests. So the, in the context, being Jewish and understanding and seeing this through Jewish eyes, then 77s is 490 years, or what you would say is 49 jubilees. And so this is what's taking place. And so 490 years are determined upon thy people and upon thy city. All right, so now we understand that God is saying 490 years I've cut out of human history. We looked at that word determined last week, that God is taking the fabric of human time and he's cutting out 490 years to wrap it all up, to usher in all of these blessings upon Israel and as a consequence then upon the rest of the world, the rest of the people groups. So this is what's taking place. Now, when does this 490 years start? Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore in two weeks. So what's threescore? Do you know? It's an old King James way of doing it. It's 60. Uh, do you remember Abraham Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address? All right. All of that, that word four score and seven years ago. So a score is 20. So 62 weeks and seven weeks is how many weeks? All right, 69 of the weeks. All right, so 69 weeks. And so here's what's going on. There's, there's different divisions here of time. There's one unit of seven. There's the unit of 62. And so then you see here that you have then another uh, 62, three score and two weeks, and then a seventh week that's mentioned in verse 27. Shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So seven, 62, and one. So totaling up to 70, so they're split out. All right, so just for a moment, I'm going to ramble at you, and maybe this will help you. As I studied this out, here's two basic ways to look at this. Don't get caught up in being so specific. It's just to be generalized, and uh, you can't count on the numbers. 
right? Then the other is, if we count on the numbers and look, look back in human history, some amazing things happened. And you can actually see that God's prophetic clock started. And we know for certainty that 69 of these weeks have been finished. And we're waiting for just this last week to start. And when does that start? So, 490 years. And we know that the clock begins running when Jerusalem is rebuilt. Now, take your Bibles, and if you want to, go over to Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. I'm just going to start reading. You catch up. Then I, that would be Nehemiah, said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. Um, and so here, this is Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, and Ezra chapter 4. So Nehemiah is rebuilding what city? Jerusalem. Well, Nehemiah was a government official under the Persian king Artaxerxes. And in the year 440, uh, 458 B.C., Artaxerxes gave a command. Nehemiah, you can go and rebuild Jerusalem. What would turn on at that particular point? God's prophetic clock. And it began running. And so it was going to be rebuilt even in troublesome times. All right, look at the end of verse 25. The street shall be built again, the wall, and even in troublesome times. Who rebuilt the wall? Nehemiah. That's what the whole book of Nehemiah is about. All right. Did Nehemiah have an easy time rebuilding the wall? No, he did not. So we know from secular history, when the command was given, we know from secular history that the walls were rebuilt by Nehemiah, and it was very difficult, just as the Scripture says. Now, what is remarkable is here that not only would the wall be rebuilt, but look in verse 25, what important religious figure would show up in Jewish history? What does verse 25 tell us? Unto Messiah, the prince. And so the Jewish Messiah would come. So when God's prophetic clock starts running, you can count 483 years and Messiah should show up. Looking back at human history, what happened? Guess who shows up on the scene? Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember in the Christmas story when Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus into the temple for dedication? How they met an elderly man, his name was Simeon, 
and he was described as being a devout man and a just man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it had been shown to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's salvation. A little baby. And the devout Jewish person was anticipating and looking for Messiah about the time that Christ showed up. So human history, it fits. Now, there's two things that I'll just share with you. You remember the phrase, uh, to anoint a most holy, at the end of verse 24? Some people say that that can't be a building, that has to be a person. And so there was an alternate date, just a few years before 445, where Darius had given a command. And if you look at that one and run it forward to time, then the year that Christ was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended from heaven upon him and he was anointed with the Spirit, then that would fit the chronology there. Now, Sir Robert Anderson in his studies, when he ran the clock forward from the giving of the decree, he came to Palm Sunday when the Lord Jesus Christ was cut off and died. Now, how does that relate to what we have in our scripture here today. All right, so look at this in verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So the Messiah is going to die. He's going to be cut off. Um, not for himself. All right, so there's two ways to look at this particular phrase. The substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, where he was going to be cut off. That means Messiah is going to die. But then the next phrase is what? Not for himself. Not because he had done anything wrong. Not because of his own sin. And so, truly, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus um, could be preached from this passage. Jesus died as your substitute and my substitute. He became sin for us, even though he did not know sin, that we could become the righteousness of God in him. So there's an exchange that takes place. The just died for the unjust so that the unjust could be called just. And so, yes, we can get the, the atonement of Jesus, we can get the death of Jesus here in this particular passage. Now, another way to look at this is that Messiah will be cut off and then this phrase, and not for himself, meaning he'll not have anything to show for it. All right, now I want you to go to the time of Jesus. So let's uh, go to his post-resurrection appearance. Let's go to the letter of Acts or the book of Acts, chapter 1. All right, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has come out of the grave. He's <clears throat> shown himself alive by many infallible proofs. Uh, verse 3, being seen by them for 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to what in verse 3? The kingdom of God. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom and the timing of the kingdom. 
And verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Um, which he saith, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized you with water, verse 5, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now look at verse 6. Here's something very important and I want you to catch because what happened to the 70th week? Verse 6, when they, which in context is the disciples, therefore were come together, they asked of him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? All right, we didn't understand. We didn't, we didn't get it. We didn't know that you had to die as our Messiah. We didn't see that. But now that you're alive again, will you set up your kingdom? Is it time? They're excited. They're thinking like Jews. Kingdom, the blessings. All right? And so Jesus answers them in verse 7, and he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, what he beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight." The angels in verses 10 and 11 say that he is going to return to them. And so the disciples are left hanging. All right. When's the kingdom coming? There, so there's this unfinished promise, this unfinished expectation. Jews are waiting for the kingdom. And by the way, these are Christians waiting for the kingdom. So here's another way of looking at it this week as I was going through the study. Some people say, don't depend on a Jewish kingdom. It's not coming. The church has inherited all the promises of Israel. The church has replaced Israel. There's nothing else for the Jews. It's all done. Now, if you're Jewish, you're like, that's not right. We have some unfinished business that needs to take place. And so what's unfinished is the prophecy of Daniel. And so they're, they're thinking about this, all right? They're, they're wondering uh, what has happened, all right? And so then they appoint uh, their missing apostle because Judas had betrayed the Lord, and they're wondering what has happened. And so... They explain it this way, that the tent of David has fallen down, but Jesus will return and set up that tent again. So now let's go back to Daniel 9. All right, so we have just finished Daniel 9.25, and we can look at human history, and we can look at what happened, and we can see that a pagan king gave a decree to Nehemiah Rebuild your city. Run it forward in time, and Jesus Christ shows up. Two events would meet the criteria, either his baptism or his presenting of himself as their king on Palm Sunday. Verse 26, um, 
that Messiah is going to be cut off. He's, he's going to die, but not for himself. So we can see that two ways. His substitutionary death for us, or that it appears that his life and his purpose, he left empty-handed. That these blessings that were supposed to be in verse 24 are not going to happen. So it can appear that his life was useless, that he was not able to fulfill his purposes. So that's where we left off. 69 weeks ran consecutively, 483 years of human history expired. And then it seems like everything just stopped. And we don't know what happened. All right? And so as I was going through this last week, um, one of my favorite helps in my library, he's one of my friends, uh, James Montgomery Boyce. He's a Presbyterian pastor who takes a different view on uh, Bible prophecy than I do. But what I found very interesting was that he said here in this particular passage, those that say that God's prophetic clock is paused, they're right. I was like, what? A Presbyterian amillennialist just said that I'm right when I come to interpreting it that way? That God's clock is paused, it's not disappeared, it's not stopped, okay? It's just paused. Now, in verse 26, we have some radical change that takes place, all right, in the middle of the verse. So, let's look here. And Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So, in verse 26, the second prince that's mentioned some people say that's Jesus. That can't be, because what just happened to Jesus in the first half of the verse? He was cut off. And he came when the city had been rebuilt. So this is the opposite. All right. So a prince comes to destroy the city and the sanctuary. And what he does is that he creates an abomination in the temple. Now, Jesus talked about this. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24. All right, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus is running through prophetic events, and this is what he tells his disciples. All right, are you there? Matthew 24, 15, follow closely. Jesus says, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them who are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him who is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto those who are with child and with those who are nurse in those days. And pray that your flight not be in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. So what prophet did Jesus just refer to? Well, come on, give me some feedback verbally. Daniel. And what specific prophecy was he talking about? The abomination of desolations. 
had it happened to the point of Jesus? No. So Jesus was still looking at that event as a future event. And Jesus says, I want you to understand something. When you see what Daniel was talking about, run! All right? Run, hide. So what we know from other places in the New Testament is this prince who comes and destroys the city. What he does in the temple is he sets up an image of himself and he calls himself God and commands the Jewish people to worship that. If you're Jewish, what's your second commandment out of the Ten Commandments? Okay, no other gods before me. And then the third one, thou shalt not make it unto thyself any graven image. Thereby the Jews will know what the abomination of desolations is. When this prince who comes makes an image of himself and says, worship me. When they see that, run. Because trouble is going to happen. Pray that it's not in the winter. Pray that you're not a nursing mother. If you're on the house top, don't go into your house to get anything. If you're out in the field, just drop everything and run. Because a great time of trouble is coming. Now let's go back to Daniel 9. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be with a flood unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Does war sound like a wonderful experience? Could Jesus be telling the Jewish people to run because desolation and war are coming? Absolutely. Now, what, is it, what does this prince do? All right. So in verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, that's very interesting. Jewish people are all about covenants. And he makes a covenant with them for one week. If we look at that as a unit of time of seven years, he signs a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. And in the middle of the week, he will cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, okay, even until the consummation. So, uh, here are some things. So, at this point, just look up at the slides. We're going to go through these really quickly. Understand, consider the vision. Um, the duration of the prophecy is for 490 years, but 483 have expired. One thing remains. That's the 70th week. How do you know the 70th week? Well, the key event of the 70th week is going to be a covenant that the prince who is coming signs with Israel. So a seven-year peace treaty. In the middle of that seven years, he's going to break it. He's going to set up idolatry in the temple, and he says, worship me. And at that point, great trouble for Israel is going to happen. That's why we call it the tribulation, all right? Because Israel goes through great tribulation with this ruler. And so understand, consider the duration of the prophecy. Um, but now here's the good news. 
The Father's going to send His Son to put an end to this. So let's look here, the termination of the prophecy. All right. So he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, the ESV says, um, are determined, God's appointed time shall be poured out upon the desolator. All right, in other words, the prince that comes, he's the desolator. And judgment's poured out upon him. So Christ is going to return. He's going to desolate the desolator. All right, and this has been determined. So that's when it will be terminated and Christ will come. And we know from other scriptures in the New Testament that the Antichrist, as which we call him, uh, will be put to an end. All right, so the word consummation uh, doesn't necessarily mean an ending. It means a beginning. The beginning of the kingdom of Messiah in the end of verse 27. So that's the best I can do for today in the amount of time that we have here. But what remains is the 70th week. And Jesus said it's a future event. And to the Jewish people, when you see it, run and hide because trouble is coming. Now what is not in this prophecy is anything for Gentile people. This is a Jewish prophecy. So God's dealing with the Gentiles is really not seen in this particular prophecy. But now, if we go back and just very quickly review what we've studied in the book of Daniel so far, how many visions were there of coming kingdoms? Remember Daniel had a vision of a human statue and then of four animals and four divisions in that human statue. That fourth kingdom, that fourth animal, has not shown up yet. The prince of the people that shall come. So some people say, well, that fourth kingdom was Rome. Here's how I say that. Rome is just symbolic of the power that the Antichrist will have, but Rome was not that kingdom. So some people like to say, oh, you know, let's get really specific and call this the European Union, and, you know, I can't go to that level. I don't feel comfortable in saying that. So a prince is coming, the people are coming, um, whoever they are, we know that they're going to make a peace treaty with Israel, they're going to break it, and they're going to cause great trouble for Israel in 927. So God has cut out of the fabric of human time his prophetic blueprint. A clock started running. 483 years went by. Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He rose again, and he ascended to heaven, and he said, I'm going to come back. The Jewish disciples said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? He said, it's not for you to know the timing. And then later it was explained that the tent of David has fallen down, but Jesus will build it up again. So if you're Jewish, you're waiting for a kingdom. Now today, as we partake of the Lord's table, we're going to read in Matthew 26 that Jesus will not partake of this 
with us until he drinks it new with us in his Father's kingdom. Well, what is this all a picture of anyway? Well, it's a picture of the substitutionary death of Messiah. How he was cut off for sins. And by the way, that ushering in of righteousness, it began, it hasn't been fulfilled, but it's in play. It, it's moving. And so today, you, sitting in this room, can have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be ready. You don't need to be afraid of Bible prophecy because Christ invites you to have that relationship with him. The bread represents his body. The juice represents his blood. You do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so Jesus Christ is going to come again and he's going to wrap up those final seven years and his dealings with the Jewish nation and to bring those blessings in verse 24 upon his people. Gentiles weren't mentioned in the prophecy. That's what the New Testament is about. What's happened is this bracket of time. We call that the church. And God is calling out a people of Gentile nations for himself. And when he's done doing that, then he picks up his work with Israel again. So are you ready for the kingdom? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you received him? You say, well, how do I do that? Well, acknowledge that you're a sinner who's incapable of saving yourself. Turn away from that thought of, I can be a good person, I can get to heaven. No, believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that he became your substitute, and then call upon him in faith, and then you can experience the exchange. You can be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, we thank you for this remarkable blueprint of future human events that's going to take place. Uh, Lord, we pray for Israel today that they will come to know you as their Messiah because right now they've rejected you. They were part of that cutting off. But so were we. And Lord, it's because of your sins, I mean, our sins, that you died. And so, Lord, if there's one here today that has never received Christ as Lord and Savior, that today they would realize that you died for them because of their sins, you went to the cross and that they can have the forgiveness of their sins by putting their trust in Jesus. Thank you that you have comforted us by giving us the knowledge of what's taking place in the future. You intend to bless us. And so, Lord, as we are taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer, uh, thy kingdom come. And even so, Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come quickly. Amen. number 301 wounded for me um, if you have a prayer card you would like to pass in brother Efren will be coming by to pick them up and as we sing uh, we'll then get ready for the Lord's table
Wounded for me, please stand. All right, if you have your Bibles, please open them up to Matthew chapter 26. We have a uh, special communion service planned uh, for November. The whole service will be built around the communion table and uh, we'll be emphasizing different elements that are here in Matthew chapter 26 and building the whole service around these elements. So I invite you to come to that. Uh, we'll also have a special service at the end of October. We're in October already, can you believe that? Um, so Reformation Sundays, so we'll have uh, a couple of different Sundays here in the fall that I know will be a blessing to you. But in Matthew chapter 26, uh, we have uh, what we call the Last Supper, the night before Jesus dies. Uh, he's eating this with his disciples, and it's the Jewish Passover. And Jesus brings new meaning to the Jewish Passover. Verse 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Well, that was completely new thought, because it had just been the Jewish Passover lamb before. And so Jesus says, no, this is symbolic of my body. Verse 27, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Well, the Passover lamb uh, is what made Israel God's people. That's the old covenant. And then it was ratified at Sinai. But Jesus is talking about a new covenant. And that is his shed blood. Verse 29, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it uh, new with you in my Father's kingdom. So really quickly, it's a memorial feast. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, it's a proclamation feast. Um, as long as you do this, you proclaim my death till I come. It's a feast of anticipation. And so we'll, we'll pull those all out and emphasize those in a few weeks. But Jesus Christ is going to do this with us in the Father's kingdom. So today, 
Uh, we invite all of you who know Christ as Lord and Savior to participate with us. You don't need to be a member, but Paul does give us some fences, all right, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, that if we were to judge ourselves, we would not be judged, because what was happening in the Corinthian church, they came to their time to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, and they were full of sin in their own lives and relationally, um, and judgment was coming upon many of them because they were doing it haphazardly, casually. They weren't really considering what this was about. Folks, this is that God had to die for us. That we need to be in that right relationship through his blood, but then we need to maintain that right fellowship with him. And that's what Paul was emphasizing. And so when we come together, let's have that moment of silent introspection. And if you know of sin in your life this week, then confess it. Uh, if there's something relationally that is broken and you can't fix it right now, then don't partake. Wait. And then get that relationship squared up, and then the next time we have the Lord's table, come back and participate then uh, and receive the blessing. So we call it communion, com as a prefix, meaning with, union with Christ. And that's what we're having right now is intimate union, fellowship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Thanking him for his death, proclaiming through this ceremony the good news of saving grace in his broken body and his shed blood. And that anybody that believes in him can be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this ordinance that you have given to us to do it and as often as we do it in remembrance of you. So Lord, we thank you for the fact that we know in human history that you were crucified, you were buried, and that you rose again the third day. Thank you that we can anticipate uh, doing this with you in the kingdom. And so even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But we do this today in memory of you, thanking you with gratitude appreciation, uh, with awe and reverence in our heart for what you did for us and being cut off for us, becoming our substitute. And it seemed like uh, your life was useless, but Lord, uh, Isaiah 53 says that you poured out your souls in offering for sin and that you brought many to righteousness. And so thank you for bringing us to righteousness uh, through your gift. And so Lord, as we uh, partake of these elements today. Thank you that you bore our sins in your body and that your blood cleanses us from all sin. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And God's people say.
Lord took the bread and he broke it, blessed it, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. the little cracker that you ate came from one cracker. We're all one body in Christ. It's a matzah cracker, which means it was made without leaven, that Christ was without sin. It is a striped cracker. It's about nine or ten inches square, and it has these perforations and stripes on it. With his stripes, we are healed. It is um, textured, and so the high spots sit against the bottom of the pan, and they brown. They looked bruised. He was bruised for our iniquities. Now, there's so much of the gospel that is just in that matzah cracker as you look at it. The Lord Jesus Christ was broken for us. And in the same manner, he also blessed the cup. Father, as we continue remembering not only your broken body, but now we emphasize your shed blood for us. Thank you so much that it is your blood that brings remission of sin. It is your blood that cleanses sin. It is your blood that was spilt for all mankind. Thank you that you died for all, and we pray that more people will repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ so that they may have that cleansing of their sin. Help us to go from this place proclaiming uh, your death, burial, and resurrection until you return in Jesus Christ's name.
my years of pastoring, I don't think this has ever happened where the communion tray was empty. And so a couple of the deacons don't have a cup. But um, we'll, we'll get that straightened out next time. But, uh, you know, I'm glad that the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, and the blood shall be upon you for a token and upon your houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you uh, to destroy you uh, when I strike the land of Egypt. And so the blood protected each home. There were all kinds of instructions and provisions that if a household was too poor and too small and couldn't afford a lamb, then it could join with another household and that that blood could be applied uh, to multiple families. And uh, so the provision of God was there for uh, the poor as well. So salvation is not something you purchase, it's a gift. And then the other thing that is beautiful about this was, did you know that even if the Egyptians applied the blood to their homes, they would also be saved? And so the gospel is not just for the Jew, it's also for the Gentile. The shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is for Jew and Gentile alike. So today, uh, rejoice in the shed blood of Jesus, and that when the Father sees the blood of Jesus, that you will not come into condemnation, and the perseverance of you as a saint will be unto the end. You will not be punished. You will be delivered. And so the Lord Jesus Christ took that cup and said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. And um, just my gratitude for the deacons for letting me have that last cup. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate that. Let's stand together and we'll sing, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. you to come back tonight. We've started a brand new series on biblical counseling. Tonight, the qualifications for a biblical counselor. Hope to see you at six o'clock. God be with you. Thank you.